Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin, and this week we are uh, we're going to briefly touch on the kind of shocking news that Mark Hershey is leaving his team, formerly known as Sunweb, but now Team DSM. Uh, I guess three days, four days into the 2021 season, despite having a contract all the way through 2022. Um, so, which leaves one of the most talented young writers just kind of in limbo, up in the air. I mean, it's it's he's got to be signing with the team. We don't know which team. I personally think it's going to be UAE Team Emirates, but we'll talk about that really quick. And then I have an interview with Keegan Swerble, who is a super talented American cyclist who kind of emerged on the scene a few years ago as I think like Outside Magazine called him the next Lance Armstrong. Uh, the sky was the limit, and then his uh, career kind of hit a few speed bumps. He'll he'll talk us through this. And uh, after the 2019 season, his team folded, and for 2020, he was joined like a small Slovenian team based out of Ljubljana, the country's capital. COVID screwed up his plans to go race in Europe, so he was essentially unemployed, living in his parents' basement, and went on a road trip with his friend uh, to Boulder, Colorado, and they were just living out of a van, like bathing in streams, and he went after a few. We have like a big climb in Boulder called uh, Flagstaff Mountain, and there's there's a Strava segment called Super Flag. It's for like a, a really good time would be under 30 minutes. And the KOM is, I think it's like, it was like 20, about 22 minutes flat. And it was set by Tom Danielson, who was like a huge, huge, huge doper, uh, part of the U.S. Postal Discovery Channel, uh, and then later on the Garmin team, now EF. Uh, people like thought this, this Strava segment was unbreakable. And I honestly thought it was too. And then, but Keegan just broke, he, he was on like a, a really terrible bike. His bike was falling apart. We'll talk about this later in the interview, but he got the Strava segment. And then the next day, he actually went for, there's the first half of the climb. It's a shorter segment, but Levi Leipheimer, another huge doper, set it in a race, actually, which I, I thought was probably one of the hardest Strava segments in the world. I thought it was unbreakable. Uh, Keegan got within, I think, four seconds of it. If he was on a decent bike, he definitely would have had that. So Jonas Carney, the director of the Rally Pro Cycling Team, which is the best American cycling team out there, uh, lives like just down the road. Keegan broke his bike eventually and had to contact Jonas to see if he could borrow one of the team's like spare training bikes. Uh, Jonas then like looks at his Strava and realizes, oh my God, this guy is flying, and he was the rally was having trouble getting riders uh, with visas over to race in Europe. Uh, be, but because uh, Keegan had signed with the Slovenian team, he was able to go over and race. So Jonas says, "Yeah, not only can I give you a bike, uh, yeah, join the team, and we're racing the Volta Portugal in a week, and you're you're going over to Portugal to race." So within like a week of chasing Strava segments, being essentially homeless in Boulder, Colorado. Keegan goes over to Portugal and I believe finishes the best. It was either the, the best rider in the team or the second best rider in the team with like no racing for months and months and months. Uh, and if you remember back to our interview is Joao Correira, uh, Tour of Portugal's one of the hardest races no one has ever heard of. It's an incredibly hard race. And Keegan finished, uh, I think, in the top 15 overall. I mean, it's just in incredible, like incredible. A week from really having no future in the sport to being up there with guys race. I mean, uh, yeah. And if you also remember back to the interview with Joao, 
The Portuguese cycling scene is infamous for its doping. So he's racing against guys putting out watts per kilo on climbs close to Tadej Pogacar, who was winning the Tour de France at the time. So yeah, it's just super incredible. Really an incredible story. Uh, super happy for Keegan. And yeah, we, we talk about that in the interview. Re- really, really great guy. And it will be fun to kind of have like an in-house beyond the Peloton pro that we can follow as the season goes on this year. Uh, but before we get into that interview, I should have done this up top, but if you want to support the podcast, you can become a premium subscriber of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. There's a free edition that comes out once a week. If you like the podcast, you should absolutely sign up for it. You would love that free edition. But if you sign up for the premium one, you get 20% off Stages products, all their outdoor products like power meters, uh, heart rate monitors, head units. I've already got got the family. Everyone's got a heart rate monitor. We're ready to go. You'll also get a premium uh, newsletter. You'll get daily newsletters during Grand Tours and Major Classics, and then you get like two additional newsletters per week. Outside of that, I just wrapped up the uh, the preseason. Uh, I'm calling it the BT. BTP net ratings for each world tour team, um, how much each team has improved or uh, gotten worse over the off season. Some pretty interesting stuff. I just as like a little uh, project, as a little experiment, I rated each team just off the top of my head what I thought they would be. And then I actually ran it through using my BTP net rating numbers. And I, I was interested to see how I was actually quite off on some of them. So it's funny how much your personal biases can be proven, I guess, proven wrong by the numbers. We'll see. I should actually send out a newsletter where I put my, uh, at the end of the year, I put what I thought each team would be versus what uh, my rating system. And this rating system is completely objective. I have no control over. I just take the pro cycling stats uh, point total of each rider on the uh the new team for 2021 what they achieved in 2020 and then that just gives me a projection of if everyone performed exactly as they did in the year before what they would uh what the team's total would be in this year uh obviously not perfect because you know there's domestiques who probably gain minimal points but what i found while building this is your success as a team is really defined by your top like your top 10, even eight or five riders. So it's just really about, obviously having a strong team is important, having a strong support staff. But I mean, as UAE team member, it's proved this year, you can have kind of a, a mediocre team and just a few superstars and you win the Tour de France and you have a great year. And that takes me to our next topic, Mark Hershey. Uh, Sunweb was like the darling of the Tour de France. I raved about him in the newsletter, the premium newsletter that you can get if you sign up for uh, I, I just was was shocked, and I, I thought they actually made a big mistake leaving their superstar, Michael Matthews, off the Tour de France roster, but they proved me wrong. They came to the Tour. Their teamwork was incredible. It's just like this fluid, flat structure. They got three stage wins with three different riders. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I think maybe Soren Crow Anderson actually won two stages, so... I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I think three stage wins with two different riders. But then Mark Hershey had a first, second, and third was like the breakout star of the of the race. Well, no, not really, because Daddy Pogachar was a breakout star of the race. But uh Pogachar won the race, but Hershey won our hearts. I mean, I think we were all we we're all pretty uh he just had a couple like heroic, like failed heroic breakaways. 
particularly stage, I believe it was stage nine, where he was solo for like 50k through the mountains and then got caught by Pogachar and uh, Roglic at the very, very end. It was a, a really incredible, uh, he ended up third place. Uh, and, but he, he was, and then it didn't stop at the tour. He got third at the world championships. He won Flesh Ballone. He probably would have won Liege best on Liege if Julian Alaphilippe wouldn't have uh, tried to crash him and Tadej Pogacar out. Just like a really incredible season. And what happened is, so so he just left the team. He had a contract with his uh, Sunweb, now known as DSM team, through this year. And then we get a notice like a few days into the season that he's just gone. Uh, this is like super unusual. This does not happen. It's really strange because now one of the best riders in the world is just without a team. I mean, at this point, he's not racing in, tw- in this season. Uh, I, I expect that to be remedied in the next few days. I think he's going to UAE Team Emirates. And I think what happened was, uh, I looked into this a little bit. I'll be sending out uh, a newsletter later today that's a little more, covers this a little more in depth. But he was making the World Tour minimum in uh, 2019. When he first, he was a Neo Pro, which means it's your first year as a professional in the 2019 season. Uh, it's like 39,000 euros a year. So like equivalent to like 48,000 US dollars a year. Not very much money. I mean, it's, it's a decent amount of money. Not very much money to be a professional athlete. Uh, for 2020, I would I would guess, this is all just guess. We don't really know these salaries, but he must have gotten bumped up. I would bet he got bumped up to like six figures, maybe low six figures. So he's like making around 100,000 euros a year. Uh, and then he has this great season where... Uh, I, I have like a list of the top 20 paid writers I'll be putting in the newsletter that will go out after this podcast is released. And like Julian Alfleet made like close to 3 million euros last year. And Hershey performed probably better than Julian Alfleet. So his market value is between, think about this guy's getting paid like a hundred, maybe a hundred thousand euros a year. His market value is more than 10 times that. He, like, he should be making like 3 million, 2 to 3 million euros a year instead. I would bet that maybe his third year of his contract with Sunweb was maybe he got stepped up to like 150, 200,000. And so Hershey was like, wait, like, it's actually, I spoke to some agents about this. It's customary for teams when this happens, when they have a young rider that advances so quickly to just rip the contract up. Uh, this happened to Mads Pedersen at Trek after he won the World Championships. He wasn't getting paid very much money. They just shredded the contract and said, well, next year we're going to actually pay you your market value and we're going to sign a long-term deal. It you know it keeps your star rider happy and it allows you to lock them in for longer. So instead of just one year left in the deal and then him going on the open market, you can just rip that deal up and lock them in for like three years at three million euros a year which would be the smart thing to do. Uh, Ian Spreckenbrick, the GM of Sonoweb, is notoriously, like, he hates star writers. He, he loses star writers. It's crazy. He had a list of all the stars he lost in the newsletter yesterday. It's 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 wild. It's like, like just off the top of your head, you think, oh, Tom Dumoulin, Michael Matthews, Warren Bargill, uh, Marcel Kittle. But, it, but it's much longer than that. I, I was shocked at all these writers that have left. He just... I don't think he believes in special treatment for anyone. He kind of runs a team like a, it's like a mini military, uh, which can produce good results, but obviously writers hate. And eventually a writer gets good enough that they're like, well, I'm just leaving. I don't have to deal with this. I'm a superstar. I can go do whatever I want. I can get paid a ton of money to ride for a team that treats me well. Uh, the smart move, I mean, I, I don't, he obviously 
the result he gets results but i think at some point like come on you got to look in the mirror and think this is ridiculous we can't just keep losing there i saw them described on twitter yesterday as a development team with the development team like they're just going to continually lose these riders they develop if they don't actually treat star riders like they they think they're deserved to be treated and i would argue they are deserved to be treated differently because they're different uh so the smart thing to do would just been shred the contract say what what's your number like let's pay for it we got a we got a very very wealthy sponsor on board with dsm they're dutch i guess hershey's swiss i mean i don't know maybe they didn't think that why are we going to pay this money for the swiss rider that that would be a dumb way to think i mean this guy is potentially he's like one of the most exciting young riders in cycling he could be a grand tour contender if he wants to in the years to come he's not not someone you want to lose so I think it's like a huge miscalculation by DSM to let him go. And I think he's going, there's been a lot of speculation about where he's going. People are worried he's going to Ineos. Uh, I talked about in the past weeks about Wout Van Aert and Matthew Vanderpool potentially both going to Ineos. Uh, this would actually be kind of a, it would be like ahead of schedule. I think that could happen at the end of this year. It'd be crazy if uh, Hershey went to Ineos. I wouldn't rule it out. It would be terrible for his sporting career because he would never get a chance to win a tour stage again because he'd be just be busy working for other riders. But money's nice, right? I mean, think about the delta between just say a hundred thousand euros a year and the three million euros a year. That's a life changing amount of money in one in the delta of one year of pay. So, I mean, at some point you have to take the money. You got to think about your future, your financial future. But I think there's kind of a creative solution here. Uh, I. I bet UAE Team Emirates thinks, well, we have Tadej Pogacar, the most exciting young Grand Tour rider and even one-day rider in the world. The guy has no support. I mean, there were times at the Tour last year where he was just by himself. Like, it was pathetic. I mean, and he lost a ton of time on Stage 7 because of it. But he was strong enough. It didn't matter. But you can't rely on that every year. You've got to get someone else in. So they, I mean, this is just me guessing. I think they went to Hershey and said, basically, name your price. And, and we'll sign you right now uh, because they view Hershey as just a, a good writer, someone he's exciting, someone you want on your team, but he can kind of support this guerrilla style that they have. They don't control grand tours start to finish like Yumbo or Ineos. They don't ride a defensive tactic. They ride like very aggressive, but at some point Pogacar needs support. He needs someone who can be there when things get really hard. And that's exactly where Hershey comes in. He's, he's not going to get dropped. And but and he, this is key. He still gets freedom to win a few stages because since they're not controlling the race, Hershey can shine. Hershey could also at some point transition into being a leader himself if he wants to. And that's a great place to do it. I have like ethical concerns about the team. I talked about this after Pogachar's win where they have a lot of like ex-doping gurus running the team. I don't love that. But let's just set that aside for the moment. Uh, let's just, we, you know, I don't know. It's kind of useless to speculate on any of this. But I think that's exactly where he's going. And I think their team camp actually starts uh, tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, I actually should be checking the Zurich to Abu Dhabi flight uh, flight logs right now. I, I actually would bet that he he's possibly taking off from Zurich right now. And with that new money, he's f for sure in business class. And flying to Abu Dhabi right now for training camp. I think that's exactly what happened. And I think we will know that he is on UAE Team Emirates in the next few days, if not hours. So uh, kind of it's wild move. It actually is going to 
distort my uh, BTP net ratings. So I'm going to re-release those on, I, I hope we know, I hope this is resolved by Friday. And then I'll start my team, preseason team analysis on either Friday or Monday. I'll split uh, the 19 World Tour teams into like four tiers, uh, four being the worst, one being the best. And then each week I'll go through four or five of the teams and talk about how they got better or worse in the offseason. But uh, let's get to Keegan's interview. We'll get to that right now. Uh, Ke- Keegan, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So uh, we were just talking a second ago about how you're up in uh, Basalt currently. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, recent, I, I had like known, I used to race like at the elite level in Colorado. And like, I remember when you were really young, like how old are you now? Like 25? Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah, like back in like the Bissell development days, um, uh-huh. you, you were like the new kid on the block. And then you were on like that this crazy action Hoggins-Berman team. I was just looking at the lineup like a few minutes ago where it was like Teo Gagenhart, Will Barta, Ruben Guerrero, Logan Owen, Gregory Daniel. I think those are all the riders that are now, or at one point were in the world tour just from that yep. one team, which is, that's crazy. Yep. Um. But, and then I kind of, I had like kind of lost track of like your career. And then I read this piece in Vela News just like a few days ago about how you essentially went, if I was writing the headline, I'd say you went from like living in a car to racing in Europe in a week. But like, <laughs> obviously the story is more nuanced than that. Yeah, yeah but definitely. Do you just want to walk us through like, because ex- this is like everyone's dream. You're right. You're like chasing Strava KOMs and the, <laughs> you're, you're going to be personally responsible for like ruining the months of multiple world tour pro ma- team managers <laughs> who now have to like field uh, emails about people's Strava KOMs. Oh God. But you, you've essentially, you essentially like leveraged like some of me. I mean, some of these KOMs we'll talk about them in a second are like, these are like yeah. world-class Strava KOMs. So it's not just right. grabbing local ones, but do you want to like walk us through like your summer? As I know it, you were on like a Slovenian uh, pro team, but obviously yeah. you never got over to Europe because of COVID mm-hmm. and then kind of walk us through like how that can, how this uh, uh, contract with rally came about. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we'll kind of start back in the spring, you know. So I was on the Slovenian team, like you mentioned. It's called Ljubljana Gusto Santic, a little continental team. And obviously the COVID struck and can't go over to Europe, blah, blah, blah. I had the visa. I, I did all the work to get the visa. So that was quite a process. So I was all squared away. COVID strikes. They can't bring me over. But they keep kind of telling me, like, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll try and bring you over in – in May, you know, then May comes, yeah, it's not quite quite possible yet. Let's bring you over in July. July comes, and then the same thing kind of happened all throughout the year until about August. Then they were like, listen, dude, I'm sorry. We just – it's not going to work this year. So I've been working hard on the bike all summer, just training, trying to build my engine and improve and whatnot. So at that point, I was kind of blown out on the roads riding up here. I was living with my parents, so I was kind of just riding the same roads every day. So, yeah, me and my buddy were just like, we got to get out of town. Let's load up the RV. My buddy, he's got a nice little RV, and his parents let us take it, and we just loaded it up and just took a little tour around Colorado training and 
having a blast, you know, showering in the river, just like eating a bunch of good Mexican food and yeah, trying to smash some KOMs here and there. And yeah. And then, um, so yeah, I, I got that, that Flagstaff KOM and that somewhat, I don't want to say that entirely led to my, my time staging with rally, but it didn't hurt. That's for sure. <laughs> you know? And so you were like a cent, like for all intents and purposes, uh, like unemployed, right? This summer, because yeah. I assume that the Slovenian team probably came back to you and said, like, just for like reasons beyond our control, we can't pay you. Yeah, yeah, that's the case for sure. And you know, even if they were able to pay me, I. I just would have felt pretty bad because I know they're such a small team and, you know, I'm, I have no reason taking money for doing nothing for them. So yeah, that was the case. And yeah, all in all, it ended up being a pretty fun summer. (laughs) So, and did you like, you never got like an equipment shipment from them. So you were like on your own personal bike. I actually, I did get a bike from them, but I had an accident in January where I ended up breaking my back and having all these, problems and i completely smashed the bike to bits so oh. i went so thankfully i had my old van dessel from my previous 2019 team so i i was just riding on that all year was that in scottsdale yeah yep exactly yeah yeah i'm like very familiar with was it on a bike path yes it yeah was. yeah i could imagine that happening i've had a few close calls yeah it was a bit eye-opening you know you're like all day out on the open roads i kind of stress in you know it's so traffic there and you're like oh god okay now i'm finally on the bike path and then you let your guard down and all of a sudden you're in the ambulance (laughs) (laughs) definitely a little scary or not a little scary very scary so that was that's pre-covid you're like this is his worst this is as bad as the year can get (laughs) yeah well that was that was literally the day that i remember when i was in the hospital my team rang me and they were like, Hainan, Tour de Hainan was our first race. It had just been canceled due to COVID. And that was like exactly when it all started to crumble. And that was actually the day that Kobe Bryant died too, for whatever reason. I mean, like just a bad day, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. That's weird to look back now. Yeah. I do remember that race getting canceled and being like, oh, that's, yeah. cr- that's crazy. That's happening over there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never... That, that's gonna, not gonna go anywhere right oh incredible pretty sad and how did you end up i, I was kind of curious how did you end up on that team it's a pretty uh kind of an obscure team i think it was Tadej yeah. pogachar on that setup at yeah. one point yeah he was that's his whole like junior and u23 team um i just you know i, I knew i needed to go to europe after my 2019 season i i knew i had to be over there full time so i just kind of emailed every team I could and and they were one of the few teams that kind of gave me a shot you know I'm not like a super young rider anymore so it's kind of hard to find a place for someone like me with barely any experience over there in Europe and so yeah they they gave me a shot it was super nice of them and it's, it's a bummer it never worked out that's it's a that's a good interesting good point you bring up about like the need to get to Europe yeah. Where I mean, maybe it might have been different, maybe like even six years ago, where it felt like there was a more robust scene in the US. Mm-hmm. But if I was advising anyone with any amount of talent, any American with any amount of talent, I'd say, like, you got to get to Europe yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah. I kind of unfortunately realized that a bit too late. I should have, 
should have done it probably four or five years ago, but yeah, I just didn't really understand the whole cycling system and I was pretty arrogant and I wasn't listening to people who were telling me like, yeah, I mean, going to tour Lavenier is more important than going to tour Utah, but I just had, you know, the wrong, not the wrong guidance. I just didn't have any guidance. So I kind of stayed in the U.S. thinking that it was the top and it's definitely not. <laughs> you know, if you don't live in Colorado, it's kind of hard to understand. Like, like the front range is like, there's a big cycling scene. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a little, it's kind of a funny scene. It's like, it's like very into itself. A lot oh. of, good, obviously a lot of good riders. Like we don't want to discount that, but right. sometimes I feel like people don't like, like people don't look outside of the bubble enough and realize like, oh, there's like a whole other world. But then you're like completely out of that. Like you live in Basalt, which yeah. is like, you know, there's obviously great riding. I'm sure there's really strong people in the valley, yeah. but it's not like a professional cycling mecca. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yeah. And it's, that's kind of funny that you mentioned that, like, especially where, so I went to high school up in Aspen and the, the mentality up there is kind of <laughs> all the kids really think they're the best, like straight up, like, oh, you're you're a decent high school soccer player. Like they all think they're yeah. got a gift up there. So unfortunately, even it's, it's very easy to get caught up in that mentality of like, Oh yeah, well I'm, I'm doing well in the Aspen cycling club. Like I'm doing well, you know, I'm up there. <laughs> and then, like you said, there's a whole bigger world out there and it, you know, just go to Europe and get your head smashed in and then you'll figure it out pretty quick. And I should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> And a lot of it's just geography related. Like if you grew up right. on like the mid Atlantic or something, there's so many people. It's like, you'll quickly realize how good you are at soccer. But totally. Colo Colorado, even though quite a few people live here, there's not that much around us. So I could imagine yeah. as a high school athlete, it's hard to like really get a measure for how good you are. Exactly. Totally. Totally. And I remember yeah. like an out, do you, I might be, I might be misremembering this. I swear there was like an outside magazine piece when you were like a little, you were young, like probably still yeah. a teenager. And it was like the next yeah. Lance Armstrong was the title of it. Yeah, yep, <laughs> yeah. There, there indeed was. I remember they, they came and to my house and did all the photo shoot. <laughs> That's another kind of thing. Like that just pumps up your ego. You know, I was like, what, 16, 17, you know, I'm getting all this outside magazine hype and yeah, I'm the next Lance Armstrong. And like, probably deep down i didn't believe it at all i i hope not <laughs> but it does kind of get to your head a little bit you know and so that's kind of another reason why i was like yeah well i mean i'm the next lance armstrong like so it, it's just weird yeah but i did have that that outside article and that's interesting <laughs> so you like flash forward like eight years you have no job you're living in an rv <laughs> in boulder colorado bathing in a stream yeah. on like a bro and like you're, I'm sure like in the Velo News piece, they talk about your bike. Like I could like vividly imagine I've, I've oh, yeah. been in the same situation before where it's like, I'll be really fit, but like my bike is like literally falling apart. Oh, <laughs> yeah. horrible. Yeah. I took it to the shop down in Boulder and they like, they didn't even really know what happened to it, but they were like, mate, your bottom bracket has like ground out some of your frame. Like this, this bike is shot. Like you can't do, you can't rebuild this spike on that. You know, like I just somehow just ground it out. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah, it, like it means you're, uh, you're putting in the miles. Oh yeah. I was putting in some good miles and 
but yeah, I, I'm not like much of a bike mechanic at all, <laughs> but it was pretty funny seeing, yeah, like that day that I actually did go for the, the KOMs and stuff. Oh, my bike just sounded horrendous. Like you get out of the saddle and it sounds like it's going to fall, something's going to fall off and stuff. It was just funny. It's like, am I going to get reported for a noise complaint? I'm <laughs> 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 violation of the neighborhood's noise exactly. policy. Yeah. So that's pretty funny, but thank God I had a bike. Jeez. And these are like super, I mean, a lot of people might not know like how it's kind of hard to explain. Like the KOM you got is super, super flag, super flag yeah. staff. And it's like, I was just looking at it. You did it like 21, 22 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then there is another, uh, the other one, the shorter, it's the first half of the climb. This is a climb mm -hmm. right, right outside of Boulder. Um, you did it in like Levi Leipheimer. I actually thought this was an unbeatable. Uh, I think it's like one of the world's unbeatable Strava segments. Me too. Me too. Honestly, and you got within four seconds of it. So, I mean, and on the on this bike, like I think if yeah. you were on like Levi's bike at the time, like you, you would have had it. So that is yeah. super. It's super impressive. Hey, thanks. I I gotta say I'm pretty hyped on that that flags up one, but also super bummed. Like, so I did that that uh, flagstaff from Gregory Canyon, the shorter KOM, the Levi Leipheimer one. I did that twice. The first time I did it, it was like really nice conditions, hot weather. The winds were pretty decent. And I did like 420 or something. And the next day I tried it and it was rainy and cold. And I did like almost 15 watts higher, but I was slower. Oh, that's because interesting. Of and I was like, oh, so I was so bummed because I oh. knew had I done the same effort the day before, I would have had it easy. And so, yeah, it's kind of. It's a little bummer because, like I said, I, I remember when I first started racing, like, in 2014, and I saw that KOM, and I just I, – I agreed with you. I was like, there's no way that's ever going to be broken. So I was pretty hyped to even get close to it. Yeah, I mean, to put it into perspective, like, Phil Gaiman is – he's a professional Strava KOM chaser. Yeah. Like, I think it's safe yeah. to say that is, like, how he makes his living. He flew in yeah. from Los Angeles and, like, made a video about trying to get this yeah. KOM. and. He wasn't even really close. I, it's, I thought yeah. that's as fast as anyone would go. Right. Yeah, it's a really tough one, man. But maybe someday. I don't know. It's it's kind of annoying, too, because there's really no better year to go for it than this year. Like, when else am I going to go out if I'm, like, trying to prepare for a race or, you know, whatever like that, follow an actual training plan? You're not just going to go out and – go as hard as you can up a climb like that it's just because then you're just blown for the rest of your ride and you can't train properly so it's kind of this summer was the time to do it and i missed out so you just have to hope they they revive the colorado classic and then they oh, do a summit finish on that climb do you imagine that's <laughs> that, that's what motivated me since day one to do this kom was those visions of like that race with the crowd and levi oh it's just so crazy what a dream that would be I'm almost embarrassed to to talk about it now because what we know about Levi got in trouble for doping, but it's like yeah. I I moved to Boulder because I watched that stage on TV. Oh, that's like oh man, like that place is awesome. Yeah, dude, it was such a good scene. That was way before I was even riding, but I can just like I Google pictures of that and it's just like wow, that is the dream, dude. It's so cool. Uh, and so it's funny we're it's funny we're even talking. We're talking about a Strava KOM you didn't get. <laughs> You you signed a professional contract, you, like right, and then yeah, you, yeah. 
a week after this failed attempt to get a KOM, you're racing in like serious races in Portugal. Like I was looking at those yeah. results. I mean, those are like really, and you're, you're on rally, which is, I think that's safe to say that's the best American team, I think by yeah. far. Definitely. With really yeah. good riders, like probably world tour caliber riders on that roster. And yeah, yeah. if I, if I remember you beat everyone, right? Like you're new to the team. And then you're I, you're the best rider on the team immediately. Is that what happened? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I, I mean, I know like a lot of the other guys had previous targets in the weeks prior. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Were more important, but I I was out of rally guys. I was first in the in the Portugal to vault out Portugal. I mean, like I wouldn't put too much into that. You know, like I know those guys are super good. Like Gavin Mannion, huge insanely good rider and tons of yeah like you said next year we've got a bunch of massive massive riders coming in so it's a really up and coming team and i'm I'm super hyped to be on it and the i mean i had a i'm sure you know him uh joao correa he's like a yep. yeah so he was on this podcast talking about the volta portugal i mean we he was saying it's like the hardest race in cycling you've never heard oh. of Oh, it was insane. <laughs> it's su- it's it super insane. impressive you're able to do as well as you did. I mean, uh, thanks, man. Just it was, w- yeah, yeah, just Experience. from really just riding around, right? Just having fun with your training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely felt the lack of like racing. I mean, obviously you would. I hadn't raced for whatever fourteen, fifteen months, so I definitely felt that. But yeah, man, it was tough. <laughs> it was just pretty wild seeing some of the dynamics between like these the two Portuguese like powerhouse teams. One was called W52 FC Porto or something. And the other one was Ethapel. And it was just like a war between those two teams. And the rest of the guys in the race were just like motor pacing them. <laughs> and it was just full gas every day. Oh, Pretty man. fun. Yeah. Crazy uh, guy. I like once I like ran into a guy who had won multiple stages of that. And he just told me one multiple stages of that race. I've like never been more impressed with anything in my life. <laughs> like, Oh my God. Yeah. How, how is that possible? Oh, it's insane. Some of the power numbers that they do. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, um, Joao was talking about like you, you either you go world tour if you're Portuguese at like a super young age. Like I think you were on uh, like Ruben Guerrero. Like yep. you go that route or you never go world tour because you get so into doping that no one will pick you up. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say that those guys are doping, but <laughs> it's definitely incredible. Some of the speeds that they go up those climbs and like how, how insane they are in that race. I, I don't want to think that obviously, cause it's just sad, but yeah, it's, it's pretty like, you like to think some of these guys that are 26, 27, over there doing top five in this Volta Portugal are very, very capable of being a great world tour rider. But for some reason they do a 12 year career and they don't like hardly ever race out of Portugal. You know, it's pretty, pretty interesting. It's really, it's probably hard for, it's, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around. And I mean, yeah, me too. if you're just looking like, so you did uh, your super flag effort, it's like 22 minutes. What was your, your wattage was like 387 Watts. Is that right? For that, yeah, yeah, three, three ninety, three something like that. And then, yeah. what did you weigh at the time? It's probably like sixty-four kilos then. Yeah, so if we do three ninety, sixty-four. I mean, you're doing essentially six point one watts per kilo at altitude. Yeah, yeah. And then you're getting beat at the 
tour of Portugal. I mean, they must have been doing like Tade Pogachar esque literally climbing literally. efforts. Yeah. Literally, like I mean, I'd hope so, <laughs> or else I have no future in this game at all. But yeah, they were doing some pretty crazy stuff for sure. Yeah, but. that's that kind of uh, it, yeah. I mean, I was actually so just looking at like your like your career trajectory, where it's like you're on that action team mm-hmm. with a bunch of world tour guys, and then like yeah. I think it's safe to say like you're probably every bit as talented as Teo Gegenhart, who is the current Giro d'Italia oh, champion. Man. It's just That'd wild, wild huh. the, the margins, how small the margins are. Like, it really is. How it sometimes doesn't seem to be defined necessarily by talent. Like, where you can be just as good and then you're living in, with your parents in basalt while yeah, your it, former teammate is winning this third or second biggest race in the world. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's definitely a lot. Well, I mean, Teo did his career a lot. Even if I was as talented as Teo, he <laughs> he did his younger years of his career a hell of a lot better than I did. Much much smarter career. He had a lot, sure. a lot going for him. Just uh, I think his his nat like just his nationality and then having a setup like Team Sky that yeah. was gonna guide him along. I mean, yeah. really 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 helped. Absolutely. I mean, I always like to think like that if I really was that talented that someday I'd show it, you know, you'd like to hope that. I mean, it's hard to say though, for sure. I definitely feel each year that I'm not like doing a grand tour or whatever. I just kind of feel I'm getting further and further behind, but now I got a chance hopefully to do some bigger races. So that's pretty cool. And what's wild is Teo probably felt that way until this year too. You know, it's like, yeah. He was yeah. like well known to cycling fans and like skyheads, but I'm not a household name. And then he's no way, yeah. And then he's like, "Oh wait, this guy's a world class Grand Tour rider." It's pretty incredible that race to watch. I I, I loved watching that race and seeing Teo and just the level that those guys were at. It was definitely inspirational for me. And so, so is that where you kind of so you're going to be on Rally, or you have a tier contract with Rally for 2021, yep. 2022. Uh, I'd assume that your goal is to is to race a Grand Tour. Is that like your two year goal? Uh, definitely, that's my goal. It's hard to say if it's going to be possible to achieve that on Rally. I mean, I know the team has those objectives to get to the Grand Tours someday. It's hard to say if it's going to happen in the next two years, but I mean, that's that is the team's goal. They've said that outright that the goal is to get to the world tour and start doing those grand tours so yeah that's definitely in the back of my mind for sure as I'm, I'm sure everyone like you meet people and you say oh, i'm a professional cyclist uh, got the most common question you must get is like oh have you raced the tour de france oh yeah 100 yeah, percent. yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah just to check that off your list i mean it just would uh make the rest of your life that much easier Jeez, man, if I could say that I rode the Tour de France, that's that, yeah, I could say that I, I'm a pro cyclist with confidence then. <laughs> Up until then, honestly, no, like, it's funny how all the guys from America say that, like, oh, yeah, they all think I'm like a hobby cyclist or something. Even like Sepp Kuss, you know, I've heard some of his, his podcast stuff, and like, you know, he's a massive, massive, massive name. And people still don't even know anything about it. It's pretty funny. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could like imagine Sepkus at a wedding or something and someone at his table's like, Oh, you haven't won the tour? Like, geez, like what is yeah, uh, <laughs> like, like one of the best climbing talents in the world. Totally. Making tons of money, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just funny. Is so is like oh. the rally contract were you having like a bit of like imposter syndrome where you're like, God, I'm like a pro cyclist, but like I'm not even able to get to a race. I mean, 2019 being like, oh, I'm right. I'm sure you felt like oh, I'm right on the cusp. Like second oh. tour lane, mm-hmm. Cowie. That's a that's a really good result. And then stepping back in 2020, was that kind of yeah. difficult? Yeah, it was. I was definitely very hopeful, and maybe I was too confident, or not too confident, but unrealistic in that I didn't have any results in Europe like the sports that's that's the main thing that kind of showed me like okay you're definitely not doing this right like I I I hadn't like one tour of Utah or anything but I'd I'd shown in 2019 that I was pretty consistent and you know I I did those decent results in Asia I did some decent results in the U.S. stuff I was pretty consistent throughout the year and I still didn't get a contract from a bigger team so I was like okay you know, you either have to win tour Utah outright or you have to do something in Europe. So it's probably easier to go to Europe full time and try and do that. That's the way to the, to the pros is what I figured out a couple of years too late, like I said, but yeah, I was definitely a little sad that I didn't get an offer last year, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so hard. I'm just looking at the 2019 tour of Utah GC. So it's like your yeah. eighth. And yeah. then, I, yeah, you could see someone glancing that be like, oh, the guy didn't win it. But then you'd look at, I'm just looking at fifth place, fourth place. So four places ahead of you is Joao Almeida, who yeah, yeah. like had, was in the pink jersey for the majority of the year to tell oh, yeah. this year. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's not, it's, I think it's so hard. It's so hard as an, A, as an American, and then B, an American trying to like get noticed racing in America. It's like this terrible matrix of, really it's the racing's really hard and then it's you either you just have to be winning like by a lot yeah. to even have a chance like think about travis mccabe like yeah he was just like winning for years and like no no interest from europe whatsoever yeah oh uh, it's just also like cycling has this mentality that like well if you're out of the u23s you're just washed up and i definitely yeah. really felt that like for instance when i was a u23 like the year that I won, I won the U23 nationals in 2015. And like, then you're kind of like hot shit, kind of, you know, you got some teams, some interest from the world tour teams. You know, I've got a couple of these, these managers that kind of starting to chat with me a little bit. And I'm like thinking, Oh yeah, this is like going, going well. And then, then I had the injuries and all that. And then I kind of, after those couple of years of injuries and all this problem, I go back and email those same guys when I'm not U23 anymore and they just don't even respond. So it's just kind of, it's, it's one of those, like, I don't want to say traditions, but just those things in cycling that maybe they're not, these world tour directors are kind of overlooking some talent. That's why like Jonathan Vodders, I think he's kind of going out of that, that box a little bit hiring guys like Mike Woods and these guys that are maybe a little bit older, possibly overlooked, but it's huge talents. Not saying that I'm a Mike Woods if by any means, but it, it, yeah, like some of these more traditional teams, they would never, never, never look at a guy who is 
26, 27, who's doing really well when they have a guy who's younger doing similar results, which, which honestly makes sense, but it's just, yeah, one of those things. No, that's a good point. I, it's something I think about a lot where I feel like there's so many inefficiencies created by these traditional, it's like yeah. rote, rote traditional thinking and cycling where yep. it's like, just cause someone's not 20 because they're 18 months older than someone else doesn't make them like a bad, right. yeah, a bad writer. And I'm sure in the moment, it probably feels like it's happening so fast. Like you're yeah. 16, 17, everyone's interested. You could easily have two bad years from just injury or, you know, just struggling with a different type of racing. And then yeah. essentially your career could be over because of those years oh, yeah. between 18 and 20, which is really silly. I mean, it's a silly yeah. way to like evaluate talent. Yeah. And honestly, mine almost was like, like for instance, so I had 2015, 2016, basically I didn't hardly race at all because I had the injuries. 2017, I came back, kind of overtrained myself, blah, blah, blah. And that was my last year, U23. And so 2018 at Tour of Utah, I was seventh on GC. And I remember thinking like, had I been six months younger, I'd still be a U23 and that probably would have been enough to like possibly get me on a world tour team. Like the guy who I beat in that GC, that Villalobos guy who signed to Ken or to EF, I beat him and he was a U23 in the, you know, so like had I been six months younger, that could have been my spot on EF, you know? So it's yeah, just one of those things. Or I'm just looking, I'm looking at that year this is actually super interesting so the person who finished one spot in front of you joe Dombrowski, joe dombrowski who's on ua yeah. uae and then the guy who finished two spots in front of you is hugh carthy who is like yeah. the breakout sensation of the vuelta yep, yep. yeah so it's really the margins are just so small there uh, it's crazy you're going to rally it's yeah. kind of it's almost do you i mean it's maybe not like a helpful exercise but do you think like like let's say you would have gone to Europe last year and you're racing for a, a continental that's a third division team. Uh-huh. Is there, it's almost like a blessing. Like I'd imagine that racing is really hard. It's like probably similar to the U S where it's really hard. It's harder than the U S obviously, but also yeah. like hard to get noticed. Like you have to be yeah. doing extremely well. Whereas now yeah. you're on rally. It's, it's almost like a blessing in disguise how that worked out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely bummed. Well, I mean, I've I've kind of spoken to a few of these directors the last couple of years who were kind of giving me the same thought that like, well, I mean, I kind of see, we see your talent. We see you have potential on the climbs, whatever, but we just don't trust that you can race in Europe. So my mentality this year was like, kind of going over there and just showing that a I'm willing to like uproot my life live in Europe full-time like you know because I do know plenty of guys that are just very content just racing bikes in the U.S. they've got their girlfriend here their family here they they know they don't want to go and live slum it in Europe like that and so that's kind of another thing like I just wanted to show I'm hungry to be over there racing you know doing what it takes to to live in Europe and and then a b just get experience just racing. And even if I didn't get the results, cause like you said, it's, it's going to be super difficult to race over there and get results and whatnot. If anything else, I could just learn and hopefully improve and, and, and show that I did 
a full season racing in Europe. And like, maybe my, my thought at least was like, maybe these, some of these directors would say, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, he's clearly got a decent engine. If he can go up some of these long climbs in Utah or whatever, I'm not saying that those are, you know, tour de France worthy climbs or whatever, but maybe, maybe they'd connect those dots and give me a chance. But yeah, I know what you're saying. It's a little bit of a blessing. I don't have to go through the, the whole in the trenches, you know, on a small team, living, slumming it, making no money. So yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. You're like, you're like in like Normandy on like a flat gravel oh. race. You're just like, what the heck am I doing here? Yeah. Making no dollars. Yeah. So. so are your three races you did last year, are those your only, is that your, your race experience in Europe? Yes, I did. In 2015, I did one race there, the Giro Valle de Osta in italy and that is my european experience <laughs> after six years of you know, seven years of cycling six years it's so interesting i mean it's funny how it's obviously harder it's very different it's like you really jumped in i'm sure i'm sure you got so much pushback it was like yeah we don't yeah we don't as you said we don't trust you can race in europe yeah you jump in and do a pretty good job like right off the bat yeah yeah i've always thought that I would be far, far better racing in Europe than I would in the U.S. Why do you because, say that? Well, I mean, everyone always talks about like, oh, it's so different in Europe. It's so different. The roads are small. There's the positioning, blah, blah, blah. And that's definitely the case. I'm, I need to improve that greatly. But in Europe, it seems like if you can, A, steer your bike well, that's kind of – I can steer my bike decently well and B it's just, it's harder. Like the climbs are harder. The races are harder and there's, it's just more dynamic. And I feel like in tour of Gila, for instance, you know, you're that first stage of tour of the Gila, you literally just ride down a giant highway for three hours, literally just chatting with your buddies, riding at a pace that your grandma could be in the Peloton easy. Like it's so easy and then you just race up the climb. And I don't think that type of racing is nearly as suited to my physiology as the stuff in Europe, even if I need to learn how to position myself better and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I've always just felt that whenever I do like races over here in Asia, where I have a bit more of a technical course or smaller roads, I, I've always felt like it's, it's easier for me to be at the front than on these giant highways where it's all you're always just getting swarmed by other guys. I don't like that really. I don't like the swarm effect of a Peloton, if that makes sense. That's that's super interesting because my yeah. my newsletter is essentially the stereotype that you just described, where it's like the race uh -huh. is harder in Europe, it's different in Europe. But yeah, there's like I'm possibly missing a key element there where it's like they're at the race in the US actually, yeah, it's 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 hurting you more than other people and then your natural abilities are suited to the more difficult racing in europe actually exactly i think i hope <laughs> i mean yeah i i also feel like a lot of these guys that can do well in the u.s like they're just not not that athletic like you can always move up in the u.s yeah. on the road it's so big if you're just super strong like you can just move up. It's as easy as that. Like in Europe, you kind of have to, like I said, steer your bike a little bit and 
and and just if you can do that better you can definitely feel when you go over to europe that all those guys that are up there they're good athletes like they could dribble a basketball shoot a soccer ball like some of these guys over here you're like ooh, that guy he ran cross country in high school and like you know he's he's not like your typical athletic type person if you know what i'm saying that's super that's a super interesting point it's something yeah. i've like anecdotally noticed just yeah because people who get into cycling that are from probably the u.s and canada i mean as exhibited uh-huh. by mike woods exhibit a like Right. Or just former track athletes or cross country, endur- former endurance athletes. But like you look yeah. at Tom Boonen on the bike, he looks like he, he's a professional soccer player. Like, oh, yeah, that's on a bike. Yeah. yeah, it's just like for me, it's just super easy to just by looking at someone's physique, I can most of the time just judge, like, okay, that guy is a coordinated human being versus like some of these guys over here in the u.s peloton you're like my god that guy <laughs> you know like yeah you just yeah. like i don't want to like shit on triathletes but because i know that's kind of a trend in cycling but that guy should be a triathlete you know like he just he's strong as hell don't get me wrong i've got a couple of guys that i'm thinking of that i obviously want to say their names but... please please say names please no God, <laughs> but yeah so just guys that they can ride their bike straight for days and days and days and they they're just kind of a menace in the peloton you see a lot of those in this bunch over here and you know for all i know i literally could be tagged that <laughs> i could have that perception of me when i'm racing in europe just you know so i don't know but yeah it's just it's different you know that's it's so it's such a good point it's like the story that's not often told is like the writer who was held back by American racing and then mm-hmm. is actually like flourishes once they get over to Europe. Yeah. 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 And I know it's going to be really hard. I know I'm going to have a massive, massive, massive challenge ahead of me trying to improve the, the positioning. That's the biggest thing over there, but yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's kind of, it's more, it's actually, it's, it's like more of like a real sport where you're so totally. Well, I want to be at the front with 100k to go. It's now 160k to go. I got to start thinking about this now. Where yeah, it was, said in the U.S., you never, you never think like that. Yeah, it's it's going to be a massive mental shift for me. That's kind of one thing that I noticed, even in Portugal, um, was just like how mentally taxing it is that you have to be switched on the whole day. Like, I'm definitely not used to that. Like I said, in tour of the Gila or tour of Utah, you're literally just chatting away yucking it up with your buddies that you haven't seen in a couple of months for three hours and then you know you focus for 30 minutes at the end and smash a climb or try and get up there in the right position to be up there in the sprint not that i'm doing that but <laughs> yeah it's it's way 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 different you got to be on the game the whole day day on day out so that's that's going to be the hardest thing for me is working on being mentally switched on for five hours every day instead of 30 minutes every day. Yeah. And are you moving to Europe full time? Is that in your plans? Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on my, my Spanish visa right now. I'm not sure what, what's going to happen with that. I mean, it's kind of a lot of our teammates are getting denied their visa applications, unfortunately. So it's pretty touch and go. I don't know what's going to happen if mine gets denied. But yeah, we're, it's in our contract that we have to live over there full time next oh, year. 
Interesting. That's that's also the untold story of pro cycling. Is it's like yeah. half half your time is uh, visa applications. God, it's such a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and is yeah. is are you gonna or if if everything works out, would you live in Girona? Yeah, yeah. We're allowed to live anywhere we want over there, but the service course of rally is in Girona, and I just know that I'm gonna have some <laughs> major yeah, issues. Yeah. My bike. I don't want to be stranded in some town and i don't speak the language and yeah so be close to the service course would be a major help for me <laughs> did you get to check out the town at all when you were over there is that where you guys were based I, this summer i haven't been over there yet no oh that's no. so interesting so you're going to it's a brand new are you uh totally. very excited very nervous yeah definitely a bit of both i know it's going to be a huge huge change like i said i mean this I've lived with my parents. They've been super nice letting me live here for free. And, you know, my food is kind of, my mom goes to the grocery store. My mom <laughs> food for me. You know, I'm 25 years old. I, you know, sometimes my laundry's done. It's just like I got a lot of pampering going on in this household, which has been great, but it's going to be a major shock when I do get over there on my own. <laughs> but it's, it's time to grow up for me. I got to say, that's for damn sure. <laughs> oh, no, that's going to be so exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a, a, a wild ride. And However, if, uh, like, if everything works out smoothly, would you, would you head over there like early 2021? Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping to submit my my visa application in the next week or two, hopefully at the latest. And then we have our training camp scheduled. I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it uh, January 20th in Granada in Spain. So I'll be over there for from then on, assuming that goes through. And so you must be like real. I mean, this must be you don't have to get into like specific dollar amounts, but I assume this is your biggest contract by like. Oh. Yeah, miles, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's got to feel like good to be like, oh, I'm a real pro cyclist making like a legitimate living. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm finally able to feel like it, it, it's nice because it's a little bit of an extra motivation. I've kind of felt like, especially the last two years, like on those days where you don't want to get on the bike, you're like, why am I doing this? Like, it's I'm a, my only motivation is doing it for me. But now I kind of have this this other thing in my mind that's like well this is your job now like this is literally you're getting paid to do this so that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah know? it is and actually it's that stuck out to me when i was reading the vela news piece where just i was trying to put myself in jonas's shoes and why you would have been so appealing to me if i was yeah. him because I don't want to name names, but like, I'd say, let's say like eight, seven years ago, eight years ago, rally in my mind was like a retirement team where it was yeah. like guys who were on the world tour cycling was like, you know, their job, it was not fun for them. And then they just wanted to make like a few extra bucks and race in the U S before they retired. Uh -huh. So it's like, then you're like the antithesis of that. Like, it's like kind of this like signaling of like the team is like completely shifted to like and that must be a hard balance to be like it's something like you were like doing it for you were compelled to do it for the last year like you yeah. had no financial obligation to do so and yeah. then change like shifting from that to like now it is your career but yeah. also, but also your passion obviously so that that's oh, totally. be like a tough balance to to strike yeah yeah that's funny you mentioned that i've kind of heard 
from other guys that they also had that perception of the team. And to be honest, I somewhat did as well. But I think that it's definitely, definitely changing. Just, you know, the guys that they're hiring, we've got some of these big, big world tour guys coming in, like Roscoff and Ben King. And those guys definitely, <laughs> I don't think they have the mentality of just riding off into the sunset, you know? They, no, no. They want, they want to help build the team and get back into the Tour de France someday. And then we've got a bunch of young guys like Magnus Sheffield, who's just the most motivated young guy in the world, you know? And yeah. And then of course, some other young ish guys like myself and Stephen Bassett and Nick Zukowski. I know he's super motivated. Yeah. It's just, it's a different vibe. We got some young guys coming through that they've got a lot of ambition. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's probably that if I was like a, doing like a Harvard business review case study on it, like the most dangerous thing that could happen to a team. And what I think did happen to the team was like, it became cool in the team to not care. Oh my God. You got that spot on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yep. it, it just infects everybody. Like even someone really... like you would come in and be like, well, I guess I shouldn't care because I don't want to be lame. Yeah. And it, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. I, I, I've, mentioned this to my coach and we've spoken about this a few times that like it's just kind of a generational thing like my coach is nate wilson i don't know if he'll oh yeah he's actually been a guest on this podcast he lives okay. in Girona, yeah. i think yeah he does yeah and so anyway like he was kind of saying that his generation of u23 guys had that mentality of like you kind of want to like show that or pretend that you don't give a shit about cycling yes yeah but secretly you really care but like you want to like pretend that you're not training and then like upload some like private strava file <laughs> there's no one you know stuff like yeah, that yeah yeah and there are some guys on the team who i kind of feel maybe have that mentality a little bit but yeah i think it's it's definitely changing with like i said guys like magnus who i know he cares a lot i care a lot a lot of these guys are super motivated still and definitely definitely don't want to have be infected by that mentality that kind of bro mentality of uh, well you know i'm like yeah i've been drinking beers and like wow look at how good i you know i don't even ride anymore yeah 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 (laughs) everyone wants to be labeled as that dude who can just tank beers and eat pizzas and like somehow they're just so freakishly good that they're still crushing it Everyone wants that, you know, but it's just, it's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah I, it, I've thought about this a lot. It was almost like, like Lance Armstrong, like did a lot of drugs and like alienated people. And so there's like reasons people don't like him, but it's almost was like a reaction to the Armstrong era where it's like, he had a goofy position on the bike because it let him go faster. Like he, he visibly mm-hmm. cared like Lance, no one would deny that Lance Armstrong did not care about cycling definitely and so it was like the reaction was like well we don't even care like all the yeah. cool looking position that's super slow so i don't look uh, yeah. lame yeah yeah that's funny it's it's definitely the case you know definitely the case and um so do you see yourself kind of i mean do you look at someone like mike woods and think like i could replicate that success i mean you don't have to say you're the next mike woods but just someone who kind of came out of the North American scene late. I mean, and you're actually quite, quite a bit further along than where Mike Woods was at your age. You know, it's hard to say. Of course, I dream of being at that level, but 
I know that guy is a freak among freaks and it's hard to say, but you know, I also like, I'm, I'm definitely ambitious. I don't have any like concrete goals anymore. I'm just trying to just improve. That's it. Like, that's my goal is to keep improving every year. You know, I don't like have this goal. Of, I want to win this race because I used to have goals like that, that I'd lay out and then, you know, this happened, that happened, that happened. And then you're not even in the race, you know, you're not even doing that bike race. So I, I kind of have stopped doing that and just try and improve and, and see where I go. And, you know, I know my career possibly is ideally is going to be another 10, 12 years. That would be amazing. And I'm just going to try and make my body as quick as I can at riding a bike in the next 12 years. So that's, that's my goal. And if I end up, someday being at that level and god damn that would be sweet (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully i traveled the world and maybe had some crazy experiences and then i could retire happy you know do you have you heard you're kind of you and mike would share the distinction of being i have you heard the story where he got fodder's attention i mean i doubt he got signed because of it but because he got like a notable strava kom I haven't actually, but uh, which KOM did he get? So it was Haleakala on the island of Maui. Oh, and it, Ryder, Ryder Heschel had it. And I actually lived on Maui at the time. And like it was like big news locally when he got this KOM. Jeez, but, interesting. Yeah, Ryder was like super mad about it when he heard about it. And then Vodders was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I should look at yeah. this guy. Well, I mean, that's, that's I got to say, that was like, a low key reason why I was so hyped about doing this, this Flagstaff KOM. Cause I know Vodders loves that climb and I know he's Boulderite. So he knows that climb and Tom Danielson had it. So he knows Tommy D. And so, I mean, that that's kind of definitely some of my motivation for trying to go for fast time up that climb was maybe I could catch that attention, but that's funny. Interesting. It's essentially you're using like, uh, these are like corporate demand generation tactics where you like think <laughs> about what are asymmetrical ways to like gain outsized, outsized attention from totally, the company. Man. Yeah. That's like yeah, what you did. Especially you're like this where there's no bike racing. I mean, I was like, geez, how else can I get my name out there? And honestly, it's gone pretty well with this battle news article. I haven't had this much attention on me in my whole career, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's, funny. yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. From a Strava. Yeah. It's right. like, I was just kind of like doing some comparison of like, like Will Barta, who's your teammate next year, I believe. Or no, is he? No, no, he's on EF. He was your teammate. He's going to EF, yeah. 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 He, you know, he missed like a Giro d'Italia stage win, but I think by like less than a second. Yeah. Yep, so insane. And like he, he got like less attention for that than probably you did for your, your Strava. <laughs> totally. KOM. Uh, and that's such a classic Will Varda thing. Like this dude is the most underrated guy I've ever seen. Like he almost beat Roglic. He, he, he almost like, that's just unbelievable performance that he did there. And yeah, no one even knows, honestly, it's pretty sad, but at least he got a contract from it. Thank God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Think how good Primo's Roglic is. And then he just <laughs> yeah. barely loses to him. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That was definitely one of the performances I've ever seen in my whole life. That was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I actually I it's kind of funny you say that about it's like a classic Will Barta thing. Like I kinda of had not heard of him. And I think he has a similar yeah. name to 
another i got a mixed up there was like another barda that was like always in breakaways like eight years ago okay so it's like my mind just merged them and i was like yeah i don't know this barda guy's still around and it's like wait this is a different guy and he's american and he's really good like what is going yeah. on yeah no it's funny i mean i i know barda a little bit and he's like super shy and i don't know why like he's always been one of the top like juniors like he was oh i actually this is why like he was always in the shadow of like some big huge hitter guy like uh costa like i remember costa yeah. beating like in one of the u23 time trial by like again like a second or two like something super tiny and of course costa gets all the hype or nielsen palace gets all the hype and or mcnulty he lost to mcnulty and mcnulty's getting all the hype and will part is like a second behind him and then mcnulty's on the podium of the world and like it's just funny you know it's classic in the time trial that's what's so insane is like he literally beat everyone not to take anything from sep's win last year but i mean like sep didn't go out that climb faster than primos did in the vuelta in 2019 but yeah yeah Bart almost beat primos in this that's just incredible but yeah anyway and so uh just how would you describe your like rider profile like i guess i always assume you were just like a climber like a pure climber but then yeah. it's interesting to hear you talk about like you actually think you benefit from like the more athletic athletically demanding courses that are uh, more technically challenging like do you think you're yeah. an all-rounder um no unfortunately not <laughs> i hope to improve my skills all around but definitely I, I can do, I, yeah, any, anything uphill is where I do my best. I'm quite punchy, actually. I can do like a, a pretty solid, like one, two minute power, something like that. And then I obviously like the long climbs and the, the higher the altitude, the better for me. Um, I hope, I don't know if it's possible. I hope to someday marginally improve my time trial and, and just, like I said, become more well-rounded in general that would be a massive help for me but yeah, yeah climb <laughs> definitely have the right coach for the tt yeah, yeah. he rip, gets those guys ripping yeah he does yeah oh if you i forgot to ask you did you ever make it to slovenia never you been, you've got to no. go sometime it's amazing amazing I, riding like some of the best I, I hear i i'm super bummed that i didn't get to go over there oh well yeah i definitely hope Hopefully I can do that for a Slovenia race. That looks pretty wild yes. someday. It's funny. Is the country so small if like you just go riding? Like literally every ride you do is a course from the tour of okay. Slovenia. You're like, yeah, 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 I'm sure. You'll be like huh. behind like Yanni Brakovic and Tade Pogacar literally yeah. every KOM you do. Oh, God. Yes, honestly. I saw some, some of Pogacar's KOMs from the spring. Oh, God. Just insane. That should Talk be about that's unbeatable your, <laughs> that's the part two of this you got to go to like lake blood and take his slovenian tt <laughs> strava KOM. <laughs> oh i don't think so man sign me up to uae if that's the case <sighs> <laughs> you'll be yeah you'll be challenging him at the 20 2022 grand tour or yeah. tour de france that would be nuts <laughs> don't count on it but cool have a good one thanks Keegan. Bye. bye all right well that was keegan Swerble, we'll keep an eye on him uh, as the season as the season goes on. He'll kind of be our in-house BTP in-house pro, and hopefully we can check in on him on some interesting stuff uh, as the season goes on. 
But thanks for listening and rate and review the podcast if you like it and please share it with a friend. All right. See you. Talk to you next week. Bye.